Welcome to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey, where we explore the rise of feminine energy in life, leadership and business. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in business and corporate and you're struggling to find meaning in what you do and how you engage your team. So join us as we talk all things leadership, strategy and culture and how we value both the feminine and the masculine in men, women and society at large to make a difference in our workplaces. Today we're going to be talking about a model which I think is one of the most critical models for leadership and it sits above all other models which is why I think it is so useful and it's called the IDEA model and IDEA stands for Internal Decision External Assess. So let's talk through those because what this model does is it talks about how we process information, so how we take information in do something with it internally, then make a decision about how we represent that out to the external world through our behaviours, and then assess as to whether it had the impact that we thought it was going to have. So this model is all about how we take information in, do something with it, and then reflect it back out into the world as a behaviour. And as a leader, it's really important that we understand this process in ourselves and how we can improve it. So if our behaviours are not as we want them to be, how can we improve the process that we go through when we're internalising and making a decision about what uh, external factors mean to then reflect that in our own behaviours? Let's look at this one by one. So if we think about representing this visually, I think about the idea, the, the letters I-D-E-A, almost travelling down our bodies. So the eye sits in the head. The decision is sort of at that sort of mouth area. External is then the behaviours. This is just a visual way of looking at it. So external is like where our hands are. And then uh, assess is right down at the bottom because it's just the end process of looking at what we did and did it have the impact that we wanted it to have. So I think of it visually like that, I-D-E-A, down the body. I, internal. So every single human being on the planet does this. We take in information through our five senses. So visual, what we see, auditory, what we hear, kinesthetic, literally what we touch, olfactory, what we smell, and gustatory, what we taste, sometimes called VACOG. So this is the five senses and all of this information comes in. Now there's various understandings and research around this. But we reckon that we take in something in the region of two to 20 million bits of information per second through our senses. So whatever the number is, it's huge. We're taking all of this information in every single second of the day and our brains can cope with in the conscious mind can cope with about three to five bits. So somehow what we're doing is we're taking all this information in and our brains are deciding, well, which bits are important? Which bits should I pay attention to? Which bits am I going to act on? And what our brains do is they've become this amazing filtering machine. And we've got three types of filtering mechanisms. We can delete, we can distort, and we can generalize. So when we're deleting information, what's happening is oh, we're taking the, the, this, all these bits of information coming in, our brain's deciding what's important. So some of it doesn't even get a look in. It gets deleted straight away. Sometimes we distort as well. 
uh, a very easy filtering mechanism is something that's really efficient. And so we look and distort and go, oh, that's happened before. This is what it means. So we distort based on something else, something that's happened to us in the past, because what it's doing is it's a really efficient way of saying, I don't need to pay lots of attention to that. I know what it means. And then we generalize too. So generalizing is when we think everything, everybody, all the time, never, all women, all men, the world, life, those sorts of sentences, when they start with those words, are generalizations. And again, it's a really easy, efficient filtering mechanism, because if we've got this information coming in and we think, oh, that's okay, because all men always do that, or all women always act like that, we're putting in a couple of generalizations and we don't have to pay attention to the actual information and the actual, um, the, the actual triggers at hand. So how do we build up these deletions, distortions and generalizations? Well, they're based on a whole load of different filters. So some of the filters that we've got, we have our value set. So our values are what we hold to be important. Now, we may not know that we've got them. They may be unconscious. But as we grow up, we come with a set of values They may come from our upbringing, our parents, the culture we came up in, the religion we were brought up in, what was really important to the adults around us when we were little. All of these things form our value set. And unless we've done conscious work on setting our values, we will be filtering the information received on these values. When we've done conscious work defining our values, then we've got a better understanding of how we filter information and how what we want it to mean. We've also got our beliefs. So our beliefs are what we hold to be true. So our values are what we hold to be important. Our beliefs are what we hold to be true. And beliefs are fascinating. One mentor of mine says um, a belief is just a convenient assumption about reality. And we hold these things to be true, but we've no idea if they are true. So again, we can grow up with all of these things that can become part of our culture, part of what our parents believe. And when we've got our values and beliefs together, we've got what we hold to be true and what we hold to be important. They form a huge part of how we filter information and how we choose to make a meaning out of that information. We've also got our memories. So our experiences All of us in the world are effectively a unique fingerprint of experience. What's happened to us in the order it's happened has never happened to anyone else. And so our experiences and our memories form another filter that feeds that delete, distort and generalize. Our attitude and literally how we turn up in our body. So there's been some really interesting work done on this. Um, It's worth checking out Amy Cuddy uh, if you go and check out her TED Talks. She's done a lot of work on power poses. And again, it's it, all of this stuff is so sort of new. But the research is showing that literally how we show up, how we hold our bodies, if we hold them in a power pose or a certain state, we process information differently and we enter the world differently. So we all know those people that rock up to work and you can just hear it in their voice that they're you know, just not really enthused about life. And you ask them if they're okay. And they're like, yeah, I'm fine. And 
as I'm talking like this, you can probably imagine my body language is just flat. My shoulders are curled over. Um, I, I'm just not looking like a overly enthusiastic person. And when we're in this mode, this attitude, it also can spread. It can spread around our team. And so again, then the team pick up this vibe and the team start acting and then processing information differently. So our attitude and our physiological state, literally how we turn up, how we project our body language, are we projecting with certainty? Are we showing up enthused and willing to serve and wanting to make a difference? All of those things make a difference as to how we process information and then the behavior that we choose. And then lastly, we have our meta programs. So our meta programs are like little defaults in the brain as to how we process information. And some of you may be familiar with behavioral profiling. So something like DISC, you may have heard of DISC or um, Myers-Briggs or any of these things. And behavioral profiles show us meta programs. So, for example, are you a big picture or a detail person? Which means, do you first off see the big picture and process that as the main thing coming through in all of this sensory information? Or do you process detail? And that's the way that your brain chooses to operate. And it doesn't mean you can't do one or the other. It means that your natural instinct and your natural inclination is that you see one of them first. So on meta programs like big picture detail, whether we are task focused or people focused, whether we are past assurance or future assurance, all these make a difference as to how we process all of these millions of bits of information that come through to us. So we take in all this information, we filter based on our values, beliefs, attitude, experience, our meta programs, and then we make a meaning about this. So we're processing all of this information and we filter it and then we make a meaning. And in that meaning, we then make a decision. So the D part as to how we want to externally represent this in our behaviors. So there's an awful lot of stuff that goes on internally. And this is why as a leader, it's really important that we understand this about ourselves. Do we know our values? Do we know our beliefs? Do we turn up in a, a body language state and a great attitude? Do we understand our meta programs through behavioral profiling so that we can get a great view how on how we process information and also understand how others might as well? Because it's in those moments of decision that we make a difference. So internal, all of this stuff goes on. Then we make a decision. Then we put it out in our behaviors and then we assess. So how do we get really, really good at making the decision? I say that every single person on the planet has a choice at this point. Sometimes I call it like the satellite delay. It's that moment where we could process all of this stuff in our head but until until it gets out there as a behavior, it's not having a difference or not making an impact in the world. And if we think that this stuff just flows through us and we have no control or no filter on our behavior and we just throw out the behavior that we feel is OK based on the processing that we've done, then we're not looking around at our teams and thinking, well, what behavior serves them right now? So if we are very self-focused, we will just allow that stuff to flow through and we'll put out whatever behavior we feel like rather than thinking, 
What serves my team? What serves the outcome that I'm looking for? What would be really useful in this moment? And how do I adapt my behavior and adapt my style to suit? So this is why this model is so important as a leader, because it's recognizing that we have that decision point. If we get really good at the decision point, then we can make a difference with our behavior. One way of doing that, of course, is really getting into the internal part and understanding all the values, beliefs, meta programs about ourselves and getting that really, really shined up. The next way of handling it is saying, how do I make great decisions? And to make great decisions, we need lots and lots and lots of different frames or lenses or models of the world. So many times I say leadership is about collecting and using frames. So what is a frame? What is a lens? Well, a frame or a lens or a model are the different ways of interpreting information that then we can put that then help us put out useful behaviors into the world. So, for example, if you have done any behavioral profiling and you know DISC, Myers-Briggs or LSI or any of these different pieces that look at behavior, in the moment of decision, what you can do is filter all of the triggers, all of the sensory information, all of the all of the external stuff that's happening around you. You can put that through a frame and then make a decision about the appropriate behavior. So, for example, in DISC, we talk about the different types of behaviors that are D, I, S or C. There are just different labels for different types of uh, groups of behaviors of people. And we look at their behaviors and we can go, OK, that person really likes a lot of detail. They're asking lots of questions. They're wanting to know the steps behind how something works. They're wanting to know all of the data that leads into why something works. And instead of that really frustrating me because I'm a big picture person and don't want to get bogged down in the details, what I can do is take in all of that information through my five senses, process it through the filter of DISC, which is the lens or the model in that deeper point, Look at it and go, OK, they seem to like all of this detail, like lots of steps, like lots of logic. Chances are they're a C in DISC, which is just a label. So they would like me to spend the time with them. They'd like me to make sure that I've got the detail covered. And if I haven't got it covered, I've got a plan to get it. And they want me to respect their knowledge and work with them to get the outcome. So in that moment, what I'm doing is adapting my behavior, my external. I'm adapting my behavior through a decision that I'm making because of the information coming into me. Rather than me going in and going, oh, God, do we have to get bogged down in this detail? Just go away and figure it out. You know, what's the worst that can happen? We just get something wrong. I mean, what? That would be really disrespectful to that person. And so what we're doing in that D moment, in that decision moment, is taking that information in and then adapting our style, our behaviours based on that information. And as a leader, that's a brilliant way of getting the best out of everyone in your team. So you will have collected so many frames over your leadership journey because any frame. So whenever you go on a training, pretty much you learn frames to so learn models of the world or lenses to look through the world. So I've 
as a leader, I think our job is to collect as many as possible. Think about your career. If, say, you've been an engineer, chances are you've got a way of approaching work, a way of approaching a project. And all of these things are frames. Think about if you have done lots of different types of leadership training. You'll have lots and lots of different ways of communicating with people, um, managing a team, setting up the environment for success. All of these are frames in which we look at the world. Think about if you're in IT. Chances are you've got a problem solving frame that you go to each time. Think about if you're in marketing and how you approach looking at customer needs and customer analysis. Again, there'll be lots of frames there. So as a leader, I say be a collector of frames. Have this filing cabinet in your head so that you can make the best decision in that moment about what your external behavior should be. So I think of it as a filing cabinet. Okay, all the sensory information comes in in the eye internal. And then I flick through like through the files and think, right, this model is what I want to use right now. This model is great for the purpose and the communication I'm looking for. So the decision that I make is flowing all of the information through that and then saying, right, how do I represent the outcome in the external world? So as a leader, become a collector and user of frames. Then when we put that external behavior out there, our next thing is that we do is we always assess, did it have the impact? If it doesn't, we have to go back to that sensory information, take it all in again and make a decision, adapt our style, flex our behaviors, put it out externally and assess again. Now, sometimes it's really, really tricky to do that because you know, the world takes over, life gets in the way and we react to things rather than respond to things. And in an organisation where we've got lots and lots of people, I mean, just imagine all of this internal work that's going on when we've got 3000 people in an organisation. Imagine all of their internal parts ticking away. So sometimes what we have to do is also manage the external and one of the ways that we can do that in an organization is set our standards and expectations around the behavior. So what we're doing in that moment is we're saying we're giving you a decision frame around how we expect you to behave. So a lot of the time in organizations, we've got the value sets and how this translates into a behavior. And what we're doing in that moment is we're saying the value set is in the D in the decision moment and the expectations of the behavior are in the E in the external so the values and behaviours in an organisation are almost giving you the frame in which you're expected to behave. And of course, to make that work really, really well, we've also got to have the behaviour that if um, if an expectation isn't met or if a behaviour doesn't suit the value, we have a conversation around it as well. And of course, when we think about masculine and feminine energy, which is the subject of many of these podcasts, that's another frame. It's another decision point. We can take in all that information and filter it through the lens of masculine and feminine energy, whether it's functional or dysfunctional from either either side, and then adapt our behavior accordingly, depending on what the outcome is that we're looking for. Uh, I believe that we need more feminine energy in leadership and in business. And so a lot of my filtering looks at the world through that lens and thinks, how do we help build up feminine energy, whether it comes from a man or a woman, 
But how do we help build up feminine energy so that it becomes just part of the way that we are in business so that we make a difference to our environment and our people and the culture that we've got? So, again, masculine feminine energy, behavioral profiling, any leadership models that you've got, they're all frames in which we can collect and look at the information, the sensory information coming in and choose our behavior accordingly. So what are the best ways in which we can use this model? Well, the first is, as I said, become a collector of frames and start using them in that decision space so that when you're processing information, you're making meaning in a way that's going to serve the outcome or serve the people that you're with and putting our behavior out there in a resourceful way. Another way is also to think about how we perceive others. So as human beings, one thing we're great at is that we judge ourselves, our own our own selves on our intent and we judge everybody else on their behavior. So we're judging ourselves on the internal part and everybody else on the external part. We think, well, you know, I didn't mean it to come across like that. And like, oh, I didn't, I had the best intent. It was, you know, wasn't supposed to go that way. They just misinterpreted me. So we're going through and we're telling ourselves it's all okay that our behavior was misconstrued in some way because internally we thought we were doing the right thing. However, when someone else does something wrong and we see a behavior that really isn't great, we think, well, there must be such a bad person because I would never do that. Or, oh, they talk in in that way or they said that thing, which means, my goodness, what does that say about them? They're awful. So what we're doing is judging them on the external. So one of the things we can do, it's great as a leader, it's great in a relationship as well at home, is always assume positive intent. So take this on as a belief. So belief means I'm going to hold it to be true. I don't know if it is true, but I'm going to act as if it's true. Everybody operates with positive intent, especially at work. I mean, let's think about this at work. Everybody's operating with positive intent. It's just sometimes they've got really bad translation into a behavior. So how does this help us now? Okay, maybe you've got the one percent at work who truly aren't operating with good intent and their behavior reflects that. But instead of going into a conversation with them about that and assuming their intent, Go into the conversation with them about their behaviours, assuming that they did have positive intent. It's just somehow it's got lost in translation when it's come out into the external. So their decision point hasn't been fully robust. In this way, what we're doing is having a self-management tool, as in it means that we choose our behavior differently based on that belief system. So we're going internal, we're taking the information in, we're making a decision based on the belief system to then put our behavior, our external out there differently. So it's a self-management tool. It's not going in and saying that all people are perfect and all people are, you know, operating here and, um, you know, they've got a positive intent. What it's doing is it's helping us self-manage as we go into that conversation. So think about it. What would happen if you chose to go around at work or in your leadership position and assume everybody was operating with positive intent? It's just sometimes they need help with the translation. What this doesn't mean is that we allow bad behavior in an organization. So it still means that we have to have the conversations if the behavior isn't up to the expectations of the organization. 
But what it does do is it helps us self-manage in that conversation. So we're not going in assuming that they're a bad person. We're going into that conversation, assuming that they didn't have a great, robust internal decision-making process about what the behavior looked like. And then we can explore that with them. And obviously, if there needs to be performance management, then that's the process that we go through. But it, it helps us in that conversation. So belief system we can always take on is assume positive intent and then see how our conversations with our people go after that. Another powerful way to use this model is in modeling itself. If we think about anyone that we admire and we think about what they've achieved. So say if you truly admire Oprah, Bill Gates, Tony Robbins, Elon Musk, any of these people, what this model, the idea model can do is analyze them. So say you read all about them, read any autobiographies, read about them in the press, etc. Then we can look at it and go, okay, what is their idea? So what, how do we filter the, the world through their eyes? So the I, what do we know about their thinking? What do we know about their values, beliefs, their attitude? All of that, if we can articulate that, what we're doing is we're trying to get the world through their eyes. Then we can say, what decisions do they make? So start noting what are the daily things they do? What are their daily habits? How do they make decisions when they've done something big in their life? What has that been that decision making criteria? Then have a look at the E, the external. What do they represent out there in the world? How are their behaviors acted out? Are they consistent? Do they do certain things in certain situations? And so what we can do with modeling is take somebody that we admire, someone that's got results that we may want in our life and start breaking it down into how they think, how they make decisions and how they represent themselves out there in the world. And we can do this with anyone. It doesn't have to be somebody famous. It could be that your partner is exceptional at, say, keeping fit, keeping healthy. So we can look at that and go, okay, internally, what are the sorts of things that they value, they believe, their attitude towards keeping fit and healthy? What decisions do they make? What habits have they got? And what sort of things they do on a daily, monthly, yearly basis? And then how does it represent itself in the world? So what standards and expectations do they have around their own behavior? So what this idea model does is it gives us a way of interpreting and analyzing other people, other models in our life, and being able to help us then take on their thinking, their decisions and the way that their behavior flows out. And lastly, we can use this model in archetypes. So we're going to go a bit deeper on archetypes in a in a further podcast. But archetypes are a great way of taking on a model when the model doesn't exist. So, for example, we talked through just then looking at someone like Oprah or Bill Gates and going, right, how do they think and how do they act? Because I want to take on some of that. And that's great because they exist in the world and we can understand their stories, understand their thinking and, and look at how we take some of that on ourselves. But a lot of the time, if we're thinking about how we want to be in the world, especially in the world of feminine energy, there's not stacks of models out there. So archetypes help us take on the thinking and behaviors when we haven't got a model or we want to make a difference in an area where someone hasn't actually sort of been before. 
And so archetypes are just a wonderful way of looking at this. Archetypes come from storytelling. So something that all human beings are great at is we tell stories and we've got all of these different story arcs that exist in our life through myths and legends and all of the different books and films and things like that that you might have seen and read. And one of the things with archetypes is looking at the different qualities needed in a situation and then taking on those qualities almost like absorbing them doing a matrix download if you like if you've seen the film of the matrix it's like doing a matrix download and taking on that archetype and that behavior and thinking now the interesting thing with archetypes is of course they can be functional or dysfunctional as well so if we think about something like say the sovereign archetype so the king queen archetype well, there's a really highly beautiful, pure archetypal role of the king or the queen in a really beautiful, functional way. And it's this, if we think about uh, combining king-queen, it's this, we work together for the common good. We're future-focused, we're benevolent, we provide certainty and protection and optimism about our future. And we are all going on this journey together to grow our kingdom, I suppose. But on the dysfunctional side, we could have the precocious prince playing out like the shadow self, if you like, of the king or the dysfunctional like petulant princess where maybe it's all self-focused, narcissistic, power driven, dictator, entitled world of the sovereign, which, of course, is not useful to us in organisations. So what we can do with the idea model is go, OK, functional king, queen, sovereign energy. How do they think? What is their internal processing, their beliefs, their values, their attitude? Uh, how do they represent themselves in their minds? Then look and think, well, what decisions do kings and queens make based on this if they're functional? And how is that then reflected externally in their behavior? So we can do an archetypal download by writing down the IDE and then the A is obviously assessing whether it worked but the IDE of idea we can do an archetypal download on each of these different story arcs and roles that people play and we can then take that on so if we're not seeing amazing queen energy in our organization let's write down what the idea model would be around the queen archetype in the functional space and then download it and act on it take on all of that internal, take on the decision making, represent it in the external world and bring a highly functional queen energy into work. These are just different ways of using this model. And we're going to go deeper into archetypes because when we look at feminine energy leadership, whether it comes from a man or a woman, we don't have lots of fantastic examples in the world. I mean, to be honest, we've got lots of examples of dysfunctional masculine as well. So it's worth diving into archetypes and the masculine too. So we're going to be doing more on this. But to summarize, the idea model is a great model for leadership. As I said, as a leader, become a collector of frames so that you can make great decisions in the moment to put out flexible behaviors as needed. Use it as a modeling tool. So if there's someone out there that's getting the results that you want, write down their internal work, write down the decisions they make and the external, how they represent it. So it's a great tool for modeling. And if you don't have a model, start thinking about how you might use this in an archetypal way. So how do we download warrior? How do we download magician? How do we download sovereign? 
and start thinking about how you can bring some of that different energy to your leadership position. Because in this way, what we're doing is we are being behaviorally flexible. And one of the key things as a leader is to flex our behavior to meet the needs of the people around us and the outcome that we're looking for. And the person with the most behavioral flexibility controls any system that they're in because they have the ultimate in flexibility and they're not wedded to anything that's tied to their ego. And so they flex their behavior to get the outcome with the people that they're looking for. Thank you for listening to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review as this helps us spread the message and keep the conversations going. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, go check out her website on AchieveLeadSucceed.com where you can sign up to receive her ebook on the five C's of feminine energy and a video of Rebecca talking about leadership and feminine energy. And we've also got a Facebook group where we talk about all things leadership and culture, particularly around masculine and feminine energy. And that's called Captivating Leadership. So you're very welcome to join us there too. See you soon. Mm-hmm.